Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Shut up and sit down. You'll have to unmute yourself there, Maven. All right, folks. Um, okay. Just trying to get in, so that's a great start, I think, is telling me that I need to unmute myself. Yeah, no, no, no. That's that's <laughs> the standard practice here at Mormonism Live, isn't it? Yes, and a very enthusiastic audience uh, response there. Yeah, look so. at that. Well, glad that you and I are here. Folks are asking where RFM is. He is in Salt Lake City. He'll be at Sunstone this weekend doing magic tricks. Um, I'm kind of tempted to know what kind of magic tricks and what kind of cool stuff RFM's doing. What do you think? Well, one of them is not being in two places at once or else he would be here. No, that otherwise he'd be here. Uh, that'd be a good one to see. Yeah, very much so. Uh, Maven's done a lot of work behind the scenes, putting a, a PowerPoint and slides and stuff together. Uh, we both have spent a lot of time uh, researching this issue and thinking about things. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff to share with you. We're a few minutes early. I apologize, folks. I don't know what happened, but when I created the stream link, I must have accidentally created it for 6 p.m. instead of 6.20. I try to pay close attention to that, but this is the second time I've done that. And uh, I just didn't want this large gap in between uh, our starting, having to start, because then the StreamYard forces you, Facebook does, forces you to start the stream uh, within 10 minutes of your, your uh, scheduled time. Right. And... Uh, so we just wanted to make sure we got on the air here so there wasn't a big block of silence or that we lost the stream altogether. So here we are. And uh, tonight, you know, this course of the last week, we've had this photograph that uh, this uh, Degora type that dropped uh, that is alleged to be the prophet Joseph Smith. And we'll get to that soon enough. Uh, but maybe I'm going to put your uh, PowerPoint up on the screen and I'm going to switch to... Look at that. I've been doing a little work my behind the scenes myself to create some things with your name on it. So nice, nice. Cool. I appreciate yeah. It. yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So um, where I think I would like to start um, is this idea of let's first talk about the things we know um, that are images of the prophet Joseph Smith that have some direct connection uh, to his life. And the the easy one is the death mask. And we had replicas of these in our pawn shop. Uh, we sold them last year. I, my, the owner of our company and also my friend, uh, Chris Bloxham, has uh, a set at his home that are, I believe, either the, the, one of the first ones by Wilford Wood or a immediate making from the first ones, uh, reproduction from those, uh, but by Wilford Wood. And so just a note, the death mask is the most direct representation, uh, though we should recognize that since the mask did not cover his entire face, his face appears 
more narrow than it actually was. And also it was while made, uh, also it was made less than 24 hours after he uh, had been killed. But we're also talking about June in uh, Nauvoo, Illinois. We're talking about the middle of summer and the hot heat and some of the effects that that would have had on Joseph's, not only his face, but his body in general. And so there still would have been significant changes in the face of Smith that would have distorted the death mask appearance. Uh, some I of mean, it would have been, might have been injured as well uh, falling yeah. from the window. Um, yeah. Perhaps. Perhaps in yeah. Things. Yeah, absolutely. Some, you know, some things that happen when, when people die in terms of their faces, uh, there's sometimes like a sinking in the jaw, there's sinking in various parts of the face, uh, rigor mortis has set in, uh, as you point out, I mean, Smith is, you know, violently killed and falls out of a second floor window. And there's some discussion of propping him back up and shooting him a few more times. And so that may have happened as well. And if so, to recognize the effect that might have had on the death mask. But this is the most direct representation of the Prophet Joseph Smith that uh, that we get. I'm and curious. This please. is just a side thing. You said you sold them at the punch. I wonder if Deseret Book has ever sold it. And I just kind of wonder how common uh, replicas of this uh, death mask are among among fans, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm aware of about six... Uh, sets of them, Joseph Smith and Hiram Smith. Uh, okay. Hiram, of course, has the wound by the side of his nose. Uh, you can make that out where they kind of stuffed it and, um, you know, you can just tell the wounds there next to his nose where he got shot and killed immediately. But I think there's at least six sets out there. There may be hundreds of them. I don't know. Um, okay. and, and maybe there's money to be made if people want to make extra duplicates, right? 3D printer and make them and uh, sell them on eBay or something. But uh, kind of a kind of a what's the word? It's kind of a sad thing to to contemplate. But anyway, that was kind of the way that people did back then was to make death masks. There's death mask of Abraham Lincoln and um, lots of famous figures in that time period, kind of the 1840s to 1870s. Uh, you see a lot of those even earlier, 1830s, 1820s. But death masks were kind of a common thing because, as we'll get to, the daguerreotypes and photographs are kind of just starting to come on the scene right. uh, in this time period. I would imagine it's your, your last chance to get something or have something that, that would, would remind you yeah. what they look yeah. like. Yep. Totally. Um, so the next thing there's the, uh, I think it's Sutcliffe Maudsley uh, is brought in and he does this side portrait of Joseph Smith. And uh, so Joseph would have been present for this and Maudsley would have uh, done the, the portrait and it has the side view. So it doesn't really help us a ton with kind of what Joseph would have looked like from the front, but to at least acknowledge that outside the death mask, this is one of, you know, one or two other things that represents Smith um, at least on some level, somewhat directly. Um, but yeah, kind of an interesting thing that got done there. And there's some mix-ups that happen here as we go along the way as well, where the Maudsley art is often confused with the David Rogers art, which we'll get to uh, in a few minutes. Um, any thoughts on that one? So I have to say, um, for a lot of these earlier portraits, I, I mean, I had seen them over the past few years, but growing up, 
we're, it was all the newer stuff that we're going to see kind of at the end. So we're going in order here. But I did just want to say um, the the later ones have them a lot more, I guess, a, a lot better looking, I think, <laughs> if I'm honest, than these earlier ones. And it was really quite a shock to me the first time seeing some of these. So this was one of them. Um, I think then uh, one of the next few uh, coming up is, uh, you know, is worse, I guess. I don't know. It, it was just something really jarring to go from like some of these uh, like Joseph Smith movies um, and then and then to see some of these portraits, which, you know, are obviously more accurate than whatever, um, you know, good looking actor that they're getting to play this role. So it's just interesting to look and see what it really looked like. Yeah. And when we get to the David Rogers one, which is the one that really Mormonism in all of its facets, all of its breakoffs kind of uses as the the representation of Joseph Smith moving forward. And there are some issues with that. And there's some things I think it, it does well uh, in trying to represent him. But we'll get to some of that as well. Um, this is obviously connected. I This was... This is the one I was thinking of. I The first time I saw it, I was just like, that's Joseph Smith? <laughs> yeah. And it's and you get that look, but it's also, you can just tell, it's it, to some degree, it's using some of the same kind of art to, to do that. Um, so there's this piece here, and I don't have um, I don't have a, a name of an artist for this uh, this particular piece, but I believe that it's connected to the Maudsley, uh, Sutcliffe Maudsley. And then this here was uh, Joseph Smith uh, by L. Gagan, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. 1850, President John Taylor commissioned the sculpture. He and other men who had known the prophet met with and advised Lucius Gagan in England. Gagan used sketches done from life by Sutcliffe Maudsley and the death mask to make portrait bust of both Joseph and Hiram. Because it was created with input from Joseph Smith's friends, uh, it talks about how significant that is, that there is some at least collaboration with those who had known the prophet Joseph Smith during his life. And uh, um, so how close it is, who who knows? But as you point out, I think that one and this kind of connect to each other. They look like a very similar Joseph Smith. Mm -hmm. um, and again, goes back to that that Maudsley uh, art piece um, that was we used to, to do that. Uh, some good comments here about uh, later uh, paintings are, are more iconographic, trying to portray the charisma and the significance to followers. Um, and yeah, so it makes sense that early portraits would maybe uh, not necessarily be about uh, what they really look like, but maybe what they represent to people. I can see that. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and then you've got some pieces that come soon after, but uh, they're they're not directly connected to Joseph Smith. You have, uh, for instance, this. This is uh, Joseph Smith Jr. by Alvin Gittens, nineteen fifty nine. So quite a bit later, Gittens portrait. Uh, says it was the first to consciously use the death mask as an information source. But as I just pointed out, the sculpture uh, also did that, the one we just showed before. Um, so you have that one, Alvin Gittens. And then you've got um, this here, Joseph Smith by DJ Bodden, 1981. To create an accurate likeness, Bodden used Joseph Smith's skeletal measurements along with the death mask. And there were some damage to the uh, those skulls when they were uncovered and so even that is a little trickier than um than simply just taking a skull that's completely intact and using measurements from it 
but there is some attempt here to do that. Were those written down or something? Because my understanding is uh, uh, we don't know where Joseph's body is or was buried or, or anything like that. Yeah, originally. So what happened was the body was buried and then Emma Smith uh, moved the skeletal remains to another spot. And then I think it was like in the 19, uh, you know, maybe Dan Vogel will answer or whatnot, but I think it was in the 1970s, 1980s, something like that, where the skeletal remains were uncovered. So I do believe that those remains were discovered and uh, they were able to take measurements and look at them. And there was quite a bit of damage to, to uh, both skulls. Um, so there's that. So okay. you've got, you've got this. I thought they were still like not even around. Mm -mm. So. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Emma moved them. She was afraid people would tamper with them, but I believe the reorganized church, now the community of Christ, uh, ended up, uh, locating those and have moved those to a, uh, a final burial place, uh, there in Nauvoo. Um, so yeah, I, I, I know they were just re just, you know, they were refound essentially and reburied. Um, Joe so Walker yeah. says secretly buried in the Nauvoo house basement um, with false, yeah. uh, false coffins originally, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So there's that one. Um, and then this here is a spliced image of uh, Baldwin's face of the prophet juxtaposed with the death mask. And one of the issues you have with this, and this may be a somewhat short episode, we'll see how far this goes. But uh, one of the issues you have with this image is that when you do a death mask, you're you're not getting the whole face. Like you you kind of stop at a certain point, and so you lose a little bit kind of of the width of the the total face. And so then when you try to create a mirror image um, or, or try to recreate that facial structure, you end up losing a little bit of it, and you don't know it necessarily, but but that's the case. So um, again, you see kind of what they do here. Uh, with the death mask, along with creating that Baden sculpture head. Um, but I'm not as trusting of the width uh, of that appearance and whether that actually works. Um, let's see here. There, And then I wanted to talk a little bit too about there's some other folks who have brought things forward uh, and we'll get into some of these that are alleged images of Joseph Smith. But this one I found, this was on a Reddit post, and I tried to reach out to the Reddit user and see if they would respond and tell me what AI software they were speaking of. But there was a Reddit post where um, somebody was claiming that they had ran uh, the Smith portraits through AI software and that the software accounted for um, the paint styles of the time by David Rogers, which we'll get to in a moment, uh, which is that top left piece. But I'm really skeptical of that, right? Like how, you know, how proficient is this AI software at knowing uh, exactly how to take that top left picture of Joseph Smith and, uh, and make it into what he would have looked like. But what, but what does catch me is that we'll see this later is that this artificial image on the right, actually has a little bit of similarity to the photo that was found this week. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. And then now we'll talk a minute about, um, I wanted to get to the David Rogers one, and then we'll talk about some alleged images that are out there. By the way, I mean, they, you know, Emma translating over, um, both of those are, you know, decent looking guy, um, decent looking woman. 
And uh, again, who knows how attractive it, because we still want to fight over whether even this newest photo is Joseph Smith or not. Um, but this is the David Rogers image. And this is important for several reasons. This is really the moment where Mormonism goes, okay, that's going to be our prophet. That's Joseph Smith. And everything going forward attempts to kind of uh, use this as kind of ground zero to form what the prophet Joseph Smith is going to look like. Um, this was done, I believe, around 1842, 1843. The original is owned by the Community of Christ. Uh, it is on display, at least last I knew it was on display at the Community of Christ headquarters in Independence, Missouri, uh, where its providence is explained. The painting was originally in the possession of uh, Emma Smith, and I, if I'm not mistaken, it used to be stored downstairs and then at some point it was moved upstairs to her bedroom with a lot of other things uh, because she, I think, justifiably so, seemed to be worried that people might try to take some of these things. Um, and, and you can only imagine, you know, all the reasons for why that would be. Um, it says the painting then was in the possession of Joseph Smith III. He died in 1914. Uh, he's recorded as commenting on the painting uh, we'll share that here in just a moment. And the 1842 date is given by the Community of Christ. Uh, this is the painting that Joseph III stated looked the most like his father. Um, it is important to note that Joseph III stated this painting was created the same year that his father had his picture taken. And we'll get to that too. There's another little mix-up that happens. The portrait was painted from the daguerreotype uh, sometime during the 1840s. Uh, again, we say 1842, but it could have been 1843 as well. And let me just see if I've got any other notes on this one. Yeah, so the next thing here is this image, and then also I'll show this one. So Joseph Smith III went through at least most of his life believing that this was an actual photograph of his father, and but really what it turned out to be was that this is a photograph of uh, a daguerreotype of the original painting. And so he thought this was a photo of his dad. But in reality, it's a copy of a copy of the original painting. And so there was some confusion throughout um, throughout his life about that. And it, I'll just note here. I'm thinking it's like an older version of, you know, when, you're, when your grandmother can't get a picture sent to you on the internet, so she takes a picture with her phone and then prints it out at the library and then sends yeah. it to you. It's kind of a layered on layered on layered. And so this new photo can't, comes out, and, and again, we'll get to that in a moment, but this new photo comes out and there's this debate, like, is this Joseph? Is it not? It's so much different than this David Rogers um, image. And it should be noted what Emma Smith said about this particular image and what we believe Joseph Smith III says about this image as well. So in regards to Emma Smith, um, let's see here. So let me start with Joseph. So Joseph mentioned, this is Joseph Smith, the prophet, uh, uh, the founder of the restoration, not his son. Joseph mentions one other artist who came to capture his image during his lifetime in a series of journal entries from mid-September of 1842, so there's the 1842 date, he writes, Friday the 16th at home with Brother Rogers, who was painting my likeness. 
Saturday the 17th, I was home with Brother Rogers, who continued painting my portrait. Monday the 19th and Tuesday the 20th, with Brother Rogers, painting at my house. History of the Church, period 1, um, volume 5, pages 162, 164, and 165. And then here's uh, Junius Wells wrote in the uh, Juvenile Instructor on February 1930. This is pages 79 to 80. Junius Wells, the first head of the Young Men's Organization for the Church and a magazine editor, said of the Rogers painting, it hung first in the mansion house and afterward in the Nauvoo house in possession of the prophet's widow, Emma Smith. Upon visiting her in the winter of 1875-1876, She entertained me very hospitably and showed me the painting, then hanging in her bedroom in the Nauvoo house. And here's the the money quote. I asked her if it were a good likeness of the prophet. She replied, no, he could not have a good portrait. His countenance was changing all the time. I then asked her what he, meaning Joseph Smith the prophet, what he thought of it. And she replied, I can tell you that For I asked him, and he said, Emma, that is a nice painting of a silly boy, but it don't look much like a prophet of the Lord. Uh, Junius F. Wells, Portraits of Joseph Smith the Prophet, Juvenile Instructor, again, February 1930, pages 79 to 80. So Emma Smith doesn't think it's a very good representation of Joseph. Joseph Smith the Prophet doesn't think it's a very good representation of of, uh, of Joseph. And then you've got this uh, really interesting. Um, Can I? I want to jump in here. Please. I like this quote from because I feel like most of the quotes that you grow up on from Joseph Smith are at least portrayed as really profound. And so I feel like this is probably the like a much more true representation of how he spoke. It don't much look like a prophet of the Lord, yeah. and especially when we know how the Book of Mormon sounded originally with the, before the grammatical fixes. I just, I just wonder how jarring it would be if, if we were able to meet him or if we were able to pop up and he was talking like that. I just, I, it's just a funny picture in my mind, but I think, you know, that's more who he, he really was. So yeah, a little less polished than a, then they want you to think sometimes. And, and I was thinking about like, so I'll show you a, a cool little picture here. This will be interesting. So, um, okay. So that is me and Amanda, right? Well, I'm, I'm going to make you bigger. I think, let me take a, okay, please. Down. There we go. So there we are. There's, there's a, uh, portrait that was done of me and my wife and it kind of looks like me. Um, but the reality is that if we start off with an image, uh, Maven, that isn't very good, and we then move forward in history, basing all of our representations kind of off that look, then what we're left with is something that really kind of falls short of of being able to kind of capture it. And so all of us have in our our minds the prophet Joseph Smith and what he should look like. But if somebody then, you know, 300 years later, 200 years later, whatever, found uh, a real photo of me and all this art had been created based on that original portrait, then suddenly we're going to have to wrestle with like, oh, it isn't, it isn't exactly right. And, and so we'll get to some of the things that maybe. Like an art version of the uh, telephone game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we'll get to some of the things that are, 
um, striking, at least if for those who are going like, I think that is the prophet Joseph Smith, and, and we'll get to whether you or I think that, um, it, it, it it's really difficult sometimes to overcome hundreds of years of thinking the wrong thing. But we got to note, again, Joseph Smith, the prophet himself, and his wife, Emma, both thought this David Rogers image didn't represent him well. He said it looked like a silly boy. And when I hear that, what I hear is it's too smooth. It's too, it's too young looking. It's, it's too polished, as you, um, as you used the word earlier, come out of speech. But the image is too polished. It's, it, it's a nice, clean, young looking guy. And, and, and both Joseph and Emma didn't think it quite represented him um, appropriately. Now, there's this really interesting correspondence um, back on March 5th of 1910, the Salt Lake Tribune publishes an image of the prophet Joseph Smith. It's just a, a drawing or portrait or something. And it gets back to Joseph Smith III. And he is bothered by how the LDS church is imposing that this other image, which I don't have handy, but the other image it is what the prophet Joseph Smith looked like. And here's what uh, Joseph Smith III said. Uh, Independence, Missouri, March 10th, 1910. Publishers, Salt Lake Tribune, Salt Lake City, Utah. Gentlemen, I notice in your issue of Saturday morning, March 5th, 1910, a copy, <coughs> excuse me, a copy of which was handed to me by a neighbor, a cut purporting to represent a life-size portrait of my father, Joseph Smith, painted by a Utah artist. I do not regret to see the picture, but I do regret to know that all the reverence said to be held by the people of Utah toward Joseph Smith, the first president of the church. They know so little about the appearance of the man. I regret the statement that is made that there is no authentic picture of my father in existence for this is a mistake. Now here's what's going on. He thinks this is a, a legitimate photograph of his dad. He's 11 years old when his dad passes away. You can certainly understand why he may have um, supplanted his original kind of memory of what dad looked like with this artwork that would have been hanging in his you know, mom's home um, uh, over the years as he's growing up and his memory would have been like, Hey, that's my dad. Um, because again, being 11 years old when his dad dies, um, I think we can understand kind of the trauma of that. Yeah. And, uh, so he thinks this is a real photo and he knows that the David Rogers art exists. So he says, I regret the statement that is made that there is no authentic picture of my father in existence for this is a mistake. If your artist, Mr. Ramsey, should ever visit the capital of Iowa, he will find a duplicate oil painting of Joseph Smith in one of the halls, placed there by myself and my son at the request of Mr. Charles Aldridge, Aldridge then curator of the Historical Society. There is an authentic oil painting now in the possession of my son, Frederick M. Smith at Independence, Missouri, painted by the same artists that painted one of my uncle, Hiram Smith, which has formed a basis of pictures of him since his family went to Utah. It fortunately happens to us that this portrait painted in 1843 is sustained in its characteristic likeness 
to my father by the Degora type, which is that, uh, in our possession, taken the same year. I think by an artist by the name of Lucian Foster, and we'll get to Lucian here in a moment, but it's actually David Rogers. So again, he knows, and it's also important to note, by him naming Lucian Foster, he's aware that Lucian Foster is the person in town who can do the Degora types uh, right towards the end of Joseph Smith and Hiram Smith's life. His mention of them is important because it gives us the room to go like, hey, let's look at Lucian as possibly the, the creator of the actual Degora type that has come into uh, the public's hands in the last week. Um, so he mixes up Foster with David Rogers because, again, he thinks this is a Degora type um, image and that the painting was created from that when in actuality it's in reverse. Any thoughts at this moment? Nope. Um, I'm just putting up some comments um, from others, um, just kind of talking about how it's uh, made to look better than uh, usual. And uh, it, it was it brought up a good point, just kind of like how uh, our paintings of Jesus uh, tend to get, I mean, they tend to follow, I guess, what the cultural norm is for what looks good. And so I think this is also something we see in these paintings throughout church history is, is what looks good uh, at the time. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So there's that. And this, again, important. We'll come back to this image because it is the the image, the only frontal uh, face view of Joseph Smith that's done in the presence of Joseph Smith. Again, we've got Emma and, and Joseph commenting on it, uh, at least through Emma as a second, you know, a secondhand witness of that. But um, what I want to talk about now are some images that have come up over the years this one here is called the Scannell Degora type. Uh, Catherine Scannell, possibly Mitchell, donated this image to the RLDS Church in 1969, along with a hymnal produced by Emma Hale Smith that bore the name of William Orr Scannell, claiming she inherited both from her ancestor, Emily L. Smith Scannell, who was supposedly a relative of Joseph's. Historian Artis E. Partial pieced together a possible provenance from that information. Um, I spoke to, and I think you were in this, this uh, message group uh, with Locke Mackay of the Community of Christ. I know him well because when I was a member of the church back in Ohio, Locke was kind of the head guy at all the Community of Christ, Kirtland, Ohio stuff. And so when we went to the Kirtland Temple to do a tour, Locke was often the person who did the tours. And I was kind of rude to him on an occasion or two. I went to the temple going like, I know my Mormonism's true. I know his Mormonism isn't. And I would try to like stump him with questions. Turns out that Locke uh, has always been very involved with the community of Christ. He uh, today is one of their 12 apostles, and he still oversees much of the history functions of their faith. And I met Locke in person uh, again at Sunstone a couple of years ago, and my wife and I and a few other people sat down and had lunch with him. And I apologized to him. And I said, Hey, Locke, you don't, you're not ever going to remember me, but I remember you. Here's what I did. I wasn't very nice to you. I was trying to kind of show the room that your Mormonism was wrong and mine was true. And, and I said, it wasn't very nice of me. And I, I apologized up and down and he, he forgave me as good as a good apostle would. And I'll just tell you, he's a good guy. Like I've been, a uh, most Mormons would never do that. So yeah. Uh, 
yeah, you must be the only one probably. Yeah, yeah, I'm the only one who wants to bash with someone else, right? And uh, he's a really good guy. And again, he's one of their 12 apostles now. And he's very involved in this whole release of this new image that, again, we'll get into in a moment. But I asked him about this particular image. And he said, look, I don't really want to talk at length about this one because we're really focused on the new one that came out. But he said, there's pretty good provenance on this. And uh, we should note, Dagorotypes were, uh, it was invented in 1839 to make the image a Dagorotypist polished a sheet of silver-plated copper to a mere finish, treated it with fumes that made its surface light-sensitive, exposed it in a camera for as long as was judged to be necessary, which could be as little as a few seconds for brightly sunlit subjects or much longer with less intense lighting, made the resulting latent image on it visible by fuming it with mercury vapor. Sounds real healthy, huh? Removed its sensitivity to light by liquid chemical treatment, rinsed it and dried it, and then sealed the easily marred result behind glass in a protective enclosure. So it would have like a, like a powdery or scrapable finish. And if you brushed it too abrasively, you could ruin the Dagorotype. They would even say to the point where if someone was wearing jewelry, you could scratch where the jewelry was a little bit. It would expose some of that silver plating underneath, and then you'd get a shiny piece of jewelry in the Dagorotype photo. Um, but this image here, we'll come back to when we kind of do some comparisons. But he said the provenance for this is pretty decent. And I'll say, because we'll get to it, this has some similarities to the, the photo that was found this week as well. Any thoughts from you on this particular one? Had you seen this before? Um, I had seen it, but I just thought I, I never gave much to it. I just thought it was somebody wanting it to be. I, I figured if yeah. there was um, a, some substance to it, then I would have heard more about it. You know, so. Yeah. yeah, I had seen this maybe, I don't know, a decade ago or so. And uh, like you, I dismissed it pretty quickly because I, because I also was aware, like there are other folks that have submitted photos and said, this is the prophet Joseph Smith. We won't even get into some of them because they're just so obviously not because of the provenance on them, um, right. not because of appearance. Cause again, we don't know exactly what Joseph looked like. Um, but I heard it's very interesting for people to purport to have pictures of Joseph Smith. So it's kind yeah. of, you know, th these aren't the only ones people have said, so it makes sense right. to me that there would be a, a lot of claims out there. Yeah. But at least to recognize that the community of Christ, uh, one of their apostles, Locke Mackay, uh, believes this has some decent provenance to it. Uh, but he didn't want to spend a lot of time on this one. I totally understand yeah. why they've got big news. happening. I feel like uh, with this one, and maybe it's just because of the way the, the process is, it's not very accurate. And maybe that's kind of what's making, making him look so young to me. Um, because this process, as Joseph would have been older still anyway, right? Yeah, if it's invented in 1839, he's born in 1805, so you'd be 34 years old, essentially. Yeah, I just, and again, I, I understand that it might be just a little smoothed out because it's it's not super accurate, but it just yeah. looks so young to me. It does. Yeah. That looks but like a... That I have with it. My, it's like um, a 25-year-old kid, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, really, like almost missionary age or something, yeah. so, um, totally. yeah. Totally. Uh, then we've got this one. This one's interesting, and I, I, I would... I'm going to discard this one pretty quick, but I thought the story behind it was cool. Uh, this one's called the Spiritus Photograph. It's a Dagora-type image identified as Joseph Smith 
by an artificial intelligence program created in Great Britain. The Degora type, um, there was one that's claimed to be Brigham Young and one claimed to be Joseph Smith. They were found around 2015 in St. Louis, Missouri, allegedly together. The photos were found as part of a British-based research project into identifying people in historical photographs. A non-funded team from various relevant backgrounds worked on a two-year project investigating uh, combining face recognition techniques with other methods of determining the identity of people in historical photographs. There is, as you can imagine, a vast amount of research now involved in determining whether this man is truly Joseph Smith. It was part of a YouTube video, and you can see in the comments of the video, people are like, hey, could you explain your research process better? Hey, could you tell us how you how you went about locating that? And all the responses from this research team is, yeah, we're we're going to get back to you. We'll, we'll address these issues in more context and uh, be more forthright about it. But right now we're still working on the project. And this was like a decade ago or so that, um, that the video came out. And so respond, you know, the video's old and they haven't responded to things anytime recent, but again, when we get to the new image found, it is, it's strange how similar it is. Uh, so it does strike me as a bit odd. Um, anyway, you can see there the Joseph F. Smith, the third, uh, so that's Joseph uh, F. Smith, the, who ends up becoming a president of the church, I believe, um, his nephew. But you can see the striking similarity there. You can see the similarity with some of the other uh, kids in the family. Alexander Hale Smith there, for instance. I think there are. If you were to tell me that guy on the left is the cousin or brother of those folks, I would easily believe that. Me too. So there's that. And then there was, they had, you know, in their video, they showed like, trying to kind of juxtapose the faces. And again, you can kind of see where they got it. But the reality is they just found a couple of photos. They kind of look like two people that in historical analysis. And so they're claiming that it actually might be them. Um, I, I think that's pretty weak. And then there's the picture of Brigham Young, allegedly, on the left, and then the picture of Joseph. And they said these were found together. But I mean, you throw a Brigham Young beard on anybody, and then you can claim he's Brigham Young, right? Yep. So, but, you know, there are some similarities there. And then we get to the new photo, and uh, we'll have a little fun with this here along the way. Uh, what were your thoughts when this came out? What was what was kind of going through your mind as, as this was all being debated back and forth and the news broke? Um, so... Before I get to that, actually, I want to highlight a comment before I forget it. Please. I feel like we we missed an opportunity with the title of the show, although yours was good, um, a good Eminem reference. But uh, yeah, no man knows my face. I really like that, Elias Investigator. Um, yeah, so I so when this came out, I I it I had seen it before because it didn't really just come out. It, it actually had been discovered earlier, I think, and had made a couple of rounds. I'm pretty sure I saw it earlier. Um, and uh, But it just, again, was kind of in this group of like many, many people are claiming this. So I think what's my understanding now is the reason why it's in the news and why it's it's making the rounds is just because more has been done to, um, to vet it and it seems more solid. So I, it was interesting to me to find out that there was more to it, that it really could be. But I'm kind of almost, it's interesting to me, 
almost how much like how little I actually care, if that makes sense. It is an interesting uh, topic, but I just he just was an awful man. And there's just so much that happens in this church that happened, you know, in his time, things that he did and just all of the uh, when you just think about all of the lies, all of the suffering, all of the bad things that have happened. Um, I don't know. Maybe I should feel hatred. for. I don't feel hatred either, but it's just kind of like, I don't know. It, it's been kind of interesting to, I guess, look at my own feelings on this and, and just kind of see how ambivalent I actually am. I don't know if others uh, feel the same way. Yeah, I, I I would add that it doesn't matter a bunch to me. I put a bunch of posts on Facebook this week, so I'm kind of talking out both sides of my mouth. But <laughs> um, it, it's interesting to me only because I have spent numerous occasions looking up the art that we do have of Joseph Smith, including all of these alleged photos that we just went through, uh, along with the early artwork by Rogers and Maudsley. And trying to kind of figure out what the prophet looked like. I've got a book that's uh, images of the prophet Joseph Smith, where they go through um, accounts of like what it, no man knows my face. They missed yeah. the opportunity. It, yeah. Yeah. And so there were accounts of like what he was speaking like, um, what he dressed like, how he treated people, like all these various witnesses, good and bad about who he was, both appearance and behavior and trying to figure out who, you know, who Joseph Smith was. And, and much of that was on like his appearance, what he looked like. And so I found it interesting that so much time has gone by. We have an idea in our head about what Joseph looked like. And here's this moment where we go like, maybe the image we've all had for, you know, 200 years is not right. It's, it's not really that close, which would go right in line with what Emma said and what Emma said her husband had told her. Um, so from that point of view, I think it's interesting that it, whenever reality, whenever we have an idea of reality and that idea goes on for a long, long time and suddenly rea uh, reality or something closer to it smacks us in the face, we all have to kind of like go like, oh, like how important is this? And, and kind of wrestle with the idea of like, does this change anything? Um, this, so. this, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, some people have pointed this out in the chat as well. I do think what's interesting about, I guess, kind of the effect that this picture coming out has is uh, because there hasn't been something, it, I feel it kind of adds to the like um, myth, mythicism around Joseph Smith. You know what I mean? Um, by not having something really concrete, it, you know. It, it just it's just like with with God or with Jesus or with any other historical figure you or even literary a, a fake um you know just a in a fiction book you can you have your the freedom of your mind to make this person whoever you want them to be and look like how you want them to and so having this out does kind of ground him more in reality and I feel like it does make him uh more modest more more of a man a mortal man yeah this is much more looking like just a normal guy, right? Mm -hmm. Than than all this artwork that we've created around him. And uh, I was impressed by the fact I, I when this first happened, I thought, okay, it came out. And then when I read the John Whitmer Historical Association uh, PDF this week and listened to an interview where Locke uh, and um, John Hamer were interviewed and uh, realized all the work that went in behind the scenes before publishing this, 
to say, hey, we've done our due diligence. We've we've tried to figure out the provenance of the locket, uh, which we can talk about here in a moment. Um, we tried to figure out looking at other members of the family who wore this pendant, if it might be something, uh, someone else, not necessarily Joseph Smith, but it might be a somebody on the other side of the family or some other important person in this family tree. And they did their due diligence and they just couldn't locate any of that. Um, I've seen people suggest maybe this is Hiram Smith and I'm struggling with that because I can't make sense of why these particular members of the family would be wearing their great, great uncle in a pendant rather than their great, great grandfather or whatnot. Um, but it, it's such a cool thing that that's, you know, to have this happen again, maybe not as interesting for those of us who recognize the history and know some of the hurt and trauma that, that Joseph Smith did and caused and imposed on others, especially young girls and, and women. Um, but there's that. Um, I know a lot of people too said that the image looks uh, older than what Joseph Smith should have been at the time this would have been done. Um, I'll show a close up here in a little bit, but I've got some thoughts on that. I, I'm not so sure that we're maybe seeing things that aren't there per se. Um, my first thing when I was saw this image was you, you hear about all the bad things that Joseph Smith did, all the predatory behavior on women and girls, specifically girls that he, he groomed, got them into his home to be either a maid or to live for a while or to stay with him, that he would treat these girls to the public as if he was watching over them as a father daughter sort of relationship. And, and then ends up doing some horrible things in terms of high pressure um, threats of, you know, spiritual destruction. If in, trying to enter intimate relationships with them. And we should never judge anybody by their appearance. Like just because someone's good looking or pure looking, or, you know, they look like they're a bad guy, like appearance doesn't mean anything. But I will say when I saw this image, I'm like, that looks like a guy who is capable of what Joseph Smith did. And the pure image just seems a little harder to make that kind of work inside your head even though look should have nothing to do with it. Did you kind of right. think that as well? Yeah, I did. And I, people are also pointing that out. And some, some think like the photograph or it looks good. Um, others think that it doesn't. So it's kind of interesting to see different people's takes on that. But yeah. whether or not he was good looking or could be considered to be good looking would, would have no bearing on his influence right. and his ability to manipulate people. I mean, if you've seen, for those who have seen the Keep Sweet documentary, I think most would agree that Warren Jeffs is not much to look at, but, um, no. but a scarily powerful figure in the community yeah. so you know it just it, whether it, you know the, i guess that's just something that i know um always gets me a little bit is, is this idea that he was really attractive or good looking when he really yeah. really didn't have to be so the authority that he held over his followers and believers is as warren is warren jeff's example right it Our is enough to show <laughs> is he do you want me to answer it <laughs> uh sure but let him know let him know he's on the show right now Oh, I'm sure he knows. I'm, okay. I'm sure he knows that we are live on air right now. Hey, RFM. Oh, he's mad that you didn't pick up. Oh, I'm sorry. I got my phone on silent, so it isn't beeping. Okay, he's going to call you back so you can pick up and put him on air. Okay, let's do okay. that. All right, bye. <laughs> are you able to connect your phone up? 
I think so. You can hear that? Hello, this is Radio Free Mormon. Hey, RFM, you are on the air right now on Mormonism Live. Now we know how backyard... Hey, everybody. (laughs) I know, absolutely. But I wanted to call and see how everything's going. I've been busy at this big celebration for Sandra Tanner, which apparently is not a secret anymore since it's over. You can hear everybody talking in the background. We had a wonderful time. Sandra was just fantastic. I opened. There were like eight or ten speakers. We had two and a half minutes each. I started so I could do a few good jokes. My Dean Martin impression was a big, a big wow. Then Humphrey Bogart. And after that, everybody else was off to a good start. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad that that went well. And I think it's a, an incredible thing to kind of celebrate Sandra Tanner and all the work that uh, she's done. Um, what are your thoughts on this Joseph Smith picture? Um, I will tell you, I don't know enough about it really to have too many thoughts about it. My only thought that I have about it is I am not sure why everybody is so excited about it. Uh, it doesn't excite me the way that it excites other people, but obviously there's a lot of excitement. Have you figured out what that is yet? Um, we were talking a little bit about that. Uh, part of, I, I shared that part of it for me, Maven said that it, it really wasn't super interesting to her and, and namely because of the things that Joseph is, we know that he did in terms of unhealthy behavior towards others. But I'll tell you, RFM, for me, it is anytime we have to face reality the way it really is, it it maybe causes us to pause and go like, maybe what else did we embellish? What else did we alter and make it look a certain way, but it really didn't happen that way? And so I think that believing members having to wrestle with the appearance of Joseph Smith might nudge them to consider other parts of Joseph's life that maybe we didn't get right as well. Hey, I think that's really an interesting insight, but I will tell you, I see the picture. If that's Joseph Smith, he's a damn fine looking man. Yeah. But also maybe that's a guy who could be a little more of a scoundrel too, right? Yes. But can I just say, I'm standing right here with Sandra Tanner. I feel like I'm a sports announcer. I'm live here at the 18th pole. And we've got Sandra Tanner. She's teeing up. Uh, Sandra, right now I'm talking to Bill Real and Maven on Mormonism Live. Thousands upon millions of people are listening to every word that I'm saying. And I wanted to give you the phone right now and just say a few words about how thrilled you were by the comments I made tonight. Well, since I know that Bill Real always tells the truth, I was so thrilled to have him at this to-do because... No one tells it better than him. And there you are. Wish you guys were all here with us. It's yeah, a it's fun day. Awesome. Congratulations, Sandra. It's, what a beautiful thing to celebrate all the things that uh, you've contributed to this space and helping people to have information to be able to kind of wake up from from Mormonism and take their life back and, and to make their own kind of independent choices uh, away from all of the, the pressure um, that the church gives people. Thank you, Sandra. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Can I hand this back to Bill? Yeah, yeah. That'll I be mean, the, RFM. RFM. Yep. <laughs> All right. Here is the only truth and living RFM. <laughs> even. Yes. And even Radio Free way, Even Radio Free Morning. And that's the way it was. Yeah. On this day. Well, cool. RFM. 
Are you are you excited about your magic tricks? It's, uh, what's what's going to be the grand finale? July 27, 2022. About my magic tricks? Yeah, what's going to be the what's going to be the showstopper at the end? Okay, here it is. Now we're not even in the same town, are we? You and okay, I. Are you ready? Yeah. Yes. Right now, we're totally right now. We're going to do the most amazing trick. Okay. Over the line. Now I am thinking of a number between one and a hundred. Tell me what it is, Bill. Right now, don't give it a lot of thought. Just tell me the first number that comes into your head. I'm thinking of it. What is it? Seven. Seven. You're absolutely right. Fantastic, Bill. Look at that. Good job. You're an amazing person. You should be doing the show on Saturday instead (laughs) of me. Good job. All right. With that, Lane, you want to hear my? uh, You want to hear my? uh, My Dean Martin. Sure. What's your Dean Martin? I did a little bit. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Everybody loves my body sometimes. Oh yeah. Is that okay? Uh, that's, Are people liking it? Oh, that's perfect. brilliant. Hold They're on. loving it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Okay. They're eating it up. And here's and here's my Humphrey Bogart that I did. It was like uh, Humphrey Bogart was talking about Mormon apologists, right? And he says Mormon apologists. The only thing a Mormon apologist understands is that. Slap in the face and a slug from a forty-five. Yeah, hey, just Here's FYI, looking at you, kid. <laughs> just FYI, the apologist took down that uh, fair Mormon cheat sheet on "Did God Have Sex with Mary?" They finally removed it, mm. but they yes. left the they left the uh, Harold B. Lee page up still. Oh well, I guess they've received the slap in the face. They're just waiting for the slug from a forty-five. Yeah. But it's interesting the effect that we're having on apologetics because they are having to rewrite their approaches uh, minute by minute as we address them. You are a force of nature, Bill Real, a force de majeure. Love it. Love it. Well, you have a good time uh, in Salt Lake City. And uh, folks, uh, if you're in Salt Lake City this weekend, don't miss out on Radio Free Mormons Magic Show. Hey, we're in Alpine. We're in Alpine, Utah. Alpine, right now, Utah. Look where at we that. Are. Nice. Who, who was that cat who back in like February gave the talk that got everybody so upset about the question we should be asking? That was in Alpine, right? That was Brad. Brad Wilcox. Yeah. Highland Brad Wilcox, Alpine. yeah. After, yeah. After we're done here, we're going to go over to Brad Wilcox's house and TP it. You're going to TP Brad Wilcox's house. I, I want photos. <laughs> if, it, if you don't have any pictures, it didn't happen. Sandra says TP is too expensive, to which I say, yeah, well, I didn't say it was going to be unused. <laughs> I love it. Remember. Are we really live? Is this going out over the... Yeah, we're... Yep. Here's my new friend. Is that Natalie? Hi, Natalie. We're on Mormonism Live. It's okay. All right, you guys keep going. Do great. I love you. And do not run away with my spot, Maven, okay? Because that's my main worry here. Okay. Okay. Have a have a great night, RFM. Much to worry about. <laughs> you guys, you have a great, great time. I love you both. Take it easy. Thanks, RFM. Bye bye. All right. So he's having a lot of fun. Glad he was able to call in. Well, we were uh, so there's some really good comments about the photo too. So I got behind on that. But, oh yeah. Yeah. By all means. Um. So yeah, and I'll have to kind of catch up. But I think, um, I don't know. I'll just I'll just throw them up. You keep going, Bill. We'll, we'll sure. keep going from here. All right. So uh, here was that AI software photo juxtaposed against the new uh, Smith image. Uh, again, I'm 
I'm a little kind of like, ah, oh, that looks more similar than that AI image does to the idea of Joseph Smith that we have in our culture. Uh, at least I thought so. Uh, there's a color one, which I, I like. I think it was Jonathan Streeter who uh, touched this up and added some some color to it so that it would just be a little more real looking. Um, this is the death mask overlaid on the new image of Joseph Smith. The, the big thing in similarities that people were pointing out uh, is this mark above the nose, which is in both images, the David Rogers portrait, as well as this new image that surfaced almost kind of an indentation or some sort of scar or something uh, above the bridge of the nose uh, off to the side, just a little bit. It is interesting as we look at the portrait, I'll put uh, some other things up here. Let me find it. Um, let's go here, F11. I'm gonna put my image up here. Um, so people are saying like, this looks like an older man. And I just wanna cause people to have a little bit of pause. If you're looking at the screen right now, you'll see my cursor on this new image that's uh, been published this week. You can see where there's like this grain fan kind of uh, brush across the, the, the image. And I don't think it's just these lines. You can kind of see them start over here and you can kind of see it brush all the way across, like that one across his nose. You can see it go right underneath the eye and it kind of drops down a little bit and goes right across the nose and keeps going. And so I think some of these lines we think are age lines may have something to do with the Degora type or some of the damage done to it over the years. Um, so not every one of these uh, lines in his forehead, which, you know, one, two, three, four, five, I just don't think those are all age lines. That would be unrealistic. And so I think some of what we see as an older man is really the Degora type image and some of the characteristics of it rather than the person in the, uh, I'm going to say photo. Um, but there's that. There were lots of things that struck me, um, and I'll just point out some of them, then I can show you maybe some pictures of some of these. But uh, right above the lip, and I, you know, there's that kind of uh, the fulcrum, I think, is what um, RFM taught me the word a few weeks ago, right? Uh -huh. And uh, in the fulcrum, there's like a little like bigger circle spot right there. And it also seems to be on the image of Smith, um, the hair being lower on one side and, and being on the correct side. Uh, the hairline kind of going up where it does. Now, again, the combed hair in this image on the right is different than the portrait by David Rogers. But the hairline kind of where it goes to is very similar in both. Um, the nose is longer on the David Rogers portrait, but we know from the death mask, number one, and from the fact that uh, David Rogers also did a portrait of Emma Smith and her nose is also longer in the portrait than it was in her photographs um, through her life. So we know that Rogers did get some things wrong. And when you look at the death mask, the death mask seems to indicate that Joseph's lips and mouth were wider than what David Rogers portrays in the image. So the nose and the lips are big parts of what throw us off. And we know from the death mask that those aren't exactly represented well uh, in the Rogers portrait. And again, Joseph and Emma both said they didn't really think it it captured him very well. Um, other little things, the kind of 
lines coming out uh, around the mouth. They're both present in both photos. Uh, another thing I thought was kind of interesting is um, above Joseph's, his left eye, but it's the right eye in the picture, but obviously it's, you know, it, that's his left eye. Um, there's like a, like a scar or a little mark that kind of goes up. And I noticed there's something going on on the photo on that same eye. It looks like maybe some sort of scar or indentation. I thought maybe it was shadow, um, but I just noted that it is present in both the portrait and in the image. Uh, let me see if that was all of them. I had a, whoop, let's go. There we go. Let's get rid of that one. Um, the curvature of the mouth going down. These are all things that at least most of these are things that Locke Mackay and uh, the community of Christ and the John Whitmer association uh, all pointed out as well. The chin in the portrait seems to be a little off center. Maybe at one time Joseph suffered a broken jaw um, in the photo. It also looks like the chin is off center. So there seems to be some similarity there. Uh, I mentioned the little round spot kind of above the lip. Uh, he seems to have that in both images. Um, there seems to be kind of a little line below the eyes and kind of represented in both. We talked about the scar already uh, above the bridge of the nose or the indentation. We talked about the spot above the eyebrow, uh, the hair hanging lower and the hairline. I think there's enough things here that it at least to me is compelling. And then, you know, the research that they did, um, they showed that going back as far as I believe uh, 1869, there are photographs of family members wearing what looks like that same pendant that this image was on. Uh, and then it was worn again, I think in 1875 in an image. And then it also in 1879 where the daughters or granddaughters of Joseph Smith, the third were getting married or had major life events. And in the photographs that they're in, they all seem to be wearing this pendant. Um, and so I thought the provenance of the pendant is to at least some degree kind of shown out that it, it was in the Smith family for the right time period. Um, while we can't go back further than 1869, we at least get back to that moment. And then what they did with the photo was they took the death mask and allowed it to correct some of these issues in the portrait, like the long nose or the lips. And then they basically used the David Rogers portrait, the uh, death mask, and this new photo and found that this photo had about a 90% match and that it would be ideal to be able to go forward and say it absolutely is Joseph Smith to have a 95% match, but at least to know that it was just below that. And the you know Community of Christ and uh, Locke Mackay, uh, the John Whitmer Association, all seem to be pretty confident that we do have the image of Joseph Smith here captured in this Degora type. Um, any thoughts on any of those things? Do you, do you see any of those kinds of similarities in the face that I'm circling there in those pictures? Um, yeah. And we've had a few people uh, point out some others. I put them up at the time. Um, oh, I gotcha. I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm kind of looking down at my papers at times and looking at the images themselves. Any of them that you remember offhand? Um, let me see if I can, uh, I should have like notated it. Yeah, um, no, no sweat, no sweat. Yeah, and there's those creases up, like, in the face the rewatch, too. Though. It is up underneath there. Um, but I, uh, I, and you can tell me when a good point uh, to go to this is. Is I would like to talk about the church's reaction. Uh, to Please. It. So, 
is this a good point or we can well, yeah if you want to put do you have a image of their of their statement if not um, no biggie we can just we can just I read can it share so this is from the churchnews.com i don't know if that's actually i how official that is but here let me go ahead and share my screen on that um okay all right and i have highlighted it um so this is this was their official statement. Every few years, potential donors bring artifacts to the church history library for review. So this is where I got that info, um, including alleged <laughs> such artifacts are, of course, of great interest to the church, though it was not mentioned specifically in the article. Church historians, archivists and artifact experts were provided um, by the items owner and the articles authors the opportunity to analyze the locket and photo and to review their findings prior to publication. Uh, we concur that the daguerreotype and locket were created of the materials and methods appropriate to the 1840s. However, as nothing is definitively known about the locket's history before 1992, we cannot draw a conclusion about who is pictured in the daguerreotype. We welcome the recent publication of the image and hope it will prompt the discovery of additional information helpful to determining its authenticity. So there was that. And then I do I did save some of these comments uh, made earlier. Um, so let's see. I think, here we go, by Garth. Um, here's how you know if the church is true. Pray to know if Joseph Smith was hot or not. Um, there was another one um, that was asking or saying, like, we, the church should pray about it. And, uh, you know, and there's been many comments, I think, in like in Reddits and in forums and things like that, that the church could know, just like with Hoffman, if something was real or not. And you, you think they would. But I think what's been comical to me is just how far they seem to want to stay away from this. They don't really want to touch it or engage with it at all. And so, and of course, we all know why. I, Hoffman is still alive and well in the memories of the, the leaders of the church, I think. Um, so I think that's the main reason why. But I'm also kind of curious, I've been wondering to myself, um, if this image does start to become more and more widely accepted, is it are we going to start seeing this kind of a picture incorporated in the church's artwork and materials that it you know officially sponsors or puts in the um the enzyme or, or liahona um i'm kind of curious if the if they're going to maybe start subtly kind of start changing things over or if they're going to ignore it completely or or wait 50 years to be sure uh, like everyone else um that's kind of my question it would be interesting to see yeah, and I'll add, I have two sources for this information. I'll, I'll read one of them. Um, regarding the newly found Joseph Smith Degora type, um, and I, I'm going to keep part of this out because I, I don't want to give away who this person is. So they list their credentials. They tell, they tell us why they should be trusted as a source. And they say, with the previously found portrait, they were clear that while it passed every test they made using computer-aided comparisons to the death mask, etc., and while they believed it to be him, they saw no benefit in making any official statement given the risk of new evidence proving them wrong. In other words, Mark Hoffman and that whole episode has burned them, and so while behind the scenes the church has indicated that it too believes that this it really is the image of Joseph Smith, that that face matches the measurements of the death mask that they are not going to go on the record saying as much um, um, because of the risk of being wrong and not wanting to have to go through that again. So, and, and I had two sources for that. That was one of them. 
So just FYI, which I also thought was kind of an interesting kind of little tidbit of information mm -hmm. uh, to go along with this. And then I'll show a couple other little things here. Um, the Community of Christ found a similar sized piece. Uh, it's actually not a perfect circle. And the way in which it's not a perfect circle, both of these are very similar in that way. So it's almost like they were both cut with the same die press. But this one on the right is Lucy Mack Smith. And about 1844, and it was cropped from a, I don't know what that is, Carte de Visisti photograph, courtesy of the Community of Christ. Um, so at least to note, like there are lots of little things that line up that seem to say like, hey, like here we have Joseph Smith's mother with a very similar image, similar pose, although at a different distance it appears, and that her image was also cut into a circle and, and um uh, in the same way that this photograph of this person alleged to be Joseph Smith uh, was cut. Um, they've also had folks who are experts in Degorotypes um, look at these and kind of go like, yeah, it's the right time frame. I'm going to guess somewhere in the mid 1840s. Again, this wasn't invented until 1839. The process got slightly more perfected uh, in different ways. And uh, the photograph wasn't the actual photograph process. I don't think was invented until like 1860 or so, if I'm saying that right, somewhere in that time frame. Um, but this particular type of Degora type is dated to kind of that mid 1840s range, where the experts said, "Yeah, I think the most likely date is 1843." And again, we're talking about 1843, 1844 that this would have happened, uh, because Lucian Foster who is crucial to the story. He arrived in Nauvoo April 27th, 1844, and rented a room at the mansion house and had likely come to Nauvoo already trained with his supplies to do Degorotypes and departs Nauvoo on June 19th of 1844, heading to Cleveland, Ohio, to help with Smith's presidential campaign. Joseph is killed on June 27th, 1844, and the Fosters said Foster had such a small window to do this, but he's living in the mansion house. The Fosters return. So after Joseph is killed, um, Brother Foster comes back to, to Nauvoo. Um, but he's living in the mansion house. It's really the short time period uh, between April 27th, 1844 and June 27th, 1844, when the prophet is uh, killed. And he's got that small window. But the fact that Joseph Smith III mentions him seems to indicate that in this milieu of, of historical context that Joseph Smith III did think that Lucian Foster had worked with his father. Uh, and the fact that he's living in the mansion house with, with the prophet's family also gives credibility to that. So that was kind of a cool thing. Um, let me see here. May 1885, six years after uh, his mother's death, Joseph Smith III said, in visiting at my stepfather's, I found a number of letters and other things left by my mother that the major, uh, that's Joseph, uh, Emma Smith's uh, second husband, Bitterman, uh, major kindly gave into my keeping. I felt these to be quite valuable gifts for they included a Degora type of my father that I had forgotten was in existence. And this is believed to be the David Rogers one, but it also could possibly be this image we're talking about. Um, that was produced by uh, Lucian Foster, if it is an image of Joseph Smith. Uh, again, Emma Smith noted the Rogers portrait was not a good likeness of Joseph, that his countenance was changing all the time. And then again, I mentioned Bertha Madison Smith is wearing 
what looks like this pendant that it's found in in 1869. And then Emma J. Smith McCallum is wearing that similar pendant. Again, looks like it's that pendant in 1875 and 1879. Um, so there's that. Let me see. I had a couple other little things. And I actually should probably uh, put up the show here or the, the the call list and get that kind of started. Any thoughts on kind of the provenance of all of this and some of the research that the Community of Christ did uh, and the John Whitmer Association did uh, on the background of this? Um, not not what what they've done, but I did like that the um, the one who discovered it. Uh, I put up again. This is another comment I put up about. Um, uh, someone said that they they prayed about it and they had a feeling which might have seemed kind of jokey but i that is what was said um i just this is from the deseret news i'll go ahead and um uh, go back to sharing my screen again please let's see sorry i gotta stop the one that i had and switch over to something else here okay so this one here um, okay, so this is a. Uh, I'm going to highlight this here. It says uh, super experience. So I, I, I just, I just liked it because it's just more elevation emotion as as confirmation of something that I, I think is wanted to be believed and wanted to be known. Um, so he says we just know that is who it is. We know that the time was right for it to come out, and I strongly believe with my wife we feel Joseph Smith felt it was time for it to come out also. So yes, I know that is who it is. So yeah, it's just. Um, Kind of interesting to me and i do think that there are members of the church um who are going off of feelings and getting different answers about whether or not this is really him or not and um um it's it's just kind of interesting so i, I i'm curious what um you've noticed about faithful reactions to this juxtaposed against the church led by prophets seers and revelators unable to get an answer Right. about whether this is Smith or not. As you point out, anytime we get enough people praying about something, all of which believe they have access to the Holy Ghost and are able to discern truth, there's always mixed results, isn't there? Right. It is. It, it's a strange some thing. Some people really like it. I mean, of course, obviously, I think there is more of a bias to tend to like it on the faithful side um, versus a, a bias to, against it on, on the less faithful side, which is obviously understandable. But um, uh, but yeah, I, th I, sh I showed it to my brother and sister-in-law when it, you know, looked like it was more authentic and uh, they didn't have much of a reaction, but I don't know if it was because it was coming from me or not, or, you know, maybe they would have had a conversation on their own if it was interesting to them or not. But it, it appeared not to actually interest them that much, which I, I found interesting uh, in itself. Of course, that the, uh, the one on the outside is more interested that this came out than them. And that's even with, again, like... A, uh, like I said earlier, it's it's not groundbreaking for me, but you would think that it would be for those still in. Yeah, and I'm having, for whatever reason, I'm having a little bit of trouble showing, um, getting the, the call kind of started here. So give me a second. But I do want to put up, in fact, can you, let's put back up this one. And uh, we can show some of the similarities here. I'm going to mute my mic for just a second. Okay. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll go ahead and go through these. I don't have much uh, commentary on it, but I do like Bill went through all this work to kind of put these uh, photos together. Um, so this one is the one that I was saying looked really young. And so we can see this is that someone made the daguerreotype also look a little bit young. Um, I still don't think it really matches very much, but here are these two put together. 
Oh, and then this one. <laughs> I want to know who did this one. Um, but uh, yeah, I like that they uh, kind of matched the uh, the background and the styling. Um, this has been making the rounds as well in the different forums. So anyway, um, yeah, hopefully we can get. We go back to that one for just a second, Maven. Oh, I just want to say one thing about it. Yeah. Um, I, I've had folks who are part of Helen Mark Kimball's family reach out on Facebook and other places and say like, Hey, this image is kind of hurting us. And I just want to acknowledge that I, um, I, I'm torn because I think sometimes for us to recognize how harmful something is, it really needs to be in our face. And I think putting an image of Helen Mark Kimball as a 14 year old sitting right next to this photo alleged to be the prophet Joseph Smith really creates some stark contrast of an older man and a younger woman. And, and I, I even had this week on a Facebook post, there was this debate going on where somebody goes like, Hey, she's not underage. Like people are allowed to marry at 14 years old in multiple States across the country at this time. And I just want to note, there's lots of problems with that. So first off, that's true. Yeah. It, it also struck me by the way, I, I had this light bulb moment that, we, we, whoever those people were, there were people who created laws that allowed 14 year old girls to get married. And you can start to go like, is that so they can marry a 15 year old boy? Like, probably not. There's probably some degree of folks who are really unhealthy creating space to carry out their unhealthiness. Um, the, the issues with the argument of going like, hey, 14 is a normal age to marry. First off, 14 is very rare. I can't I don't have the graph in front of me, but 14 is an extremely rare thing in this time period. Not only that, but when a 14-year-old married, it almost never was going to be a 37-year-old man. It was a 17-year-old boy or an 18-year-old boy. And there was an age difference most of the time, but not significant. And um, the, the next thing you have to kind of do when you get involved in that debate is you have to go like, okay, so maybe 14 happens once out of every, you know, 800 marriages, whatever it is. But then whoever that person's marrying, we have to do a study on what their age is. And it almost never was an older man of that age. Now it did happen, but we're talking extremely rare. And then the next thing you have to do is you have to open up the question of, it doesn't matter what the rules are in 1830, you know, 1843 or 1844. What matters is that there's a heavenly father who's an all-knowing being who has access to speak directly to his prophet. And if God is all-knowing and we all go, not even just my current sensibilities, we just all intuitively know that a 14-year-old isn't capable and that it would be traumatic for her to enter this kind of life event. Of, of what happened to Helen Mark Kimball. Heavenly Father could have stepped in at any moment and stopped it. Like he helps the girl find her keys in Layton, Utah, but he doesn't tell Joseph Smith, knock it off. And so you might be able to make a case like in West Virginia and these other seven states, it's legal. But until you can answer the question of why God allows it, when we're talking about serious trauma to a child, then then I, I just don't buy into the fact that go like, well, it's the law and it's on the book, so we don't get to argue it. God isn't held by any law in any current moment of time. Just God is all-knowing being. It's moral and vice versa. 
Right. Yeah. So there are lots of questions that would have to be addressed that will point to it doesn't matter what's on the books. There's some other things that need to be addressed first before you could even begin to make an argument that something like this is okay. And, okay. and it's not. So and I want to say, I, I don't know my, this is a, a series my friend is trying to get me into. Um, and so unfortunately I haven't seen it and I don't have the information, but I do believe it's on Hulu. Um, it's called, I was a child bride, uh, the untold mm. story. I think that's what it is. And it goes over many, and this is modern. These are women, you know, not just like in the uh, FLDS keep sweet documentary, but um, all over the U S that are still being married at these young ages. And a lot of times uh, they, people want to say that they're consenting to it, which um, like you're saying, Bill, they're not able to, an important part of consent is to be able to have the ability to fully understand what it is that you're consenting to. And that's just not something that teenagers have. But even then, most of the time they, they didn't have it anyway. Um, some of these stories, these women were telling that their parents were, they didn't sign their own marriage certificate, their parents did it for them. And it was parents really behind the majority of these, um, you know, marriages to these older men um, that were often awful and abusive as they tend to be. Um, because I, I almost think you, it's not a good man, I think, who wants to marry somebody this young. And I think some people want to say like, yeah, there's pedophiles out there, but maybe some people can genuinely just be in love with and care for you know, somebody a lot younger than them, but I, I just don't think you can because there's, there's, I think there is inherently that manipulation factor and just knowing, you know, the reason why this person or these, this age is attractive to somebody like Joseph Smith or Warren Jeffs or anybody else who does it is because they know inherently that they're more able to influence and control that person. I think that's part of where the attraction comes for them is that ability to control. So I am sympathetic to Helen Mark Kimball's family. Um, but like you said, it is something that happened. And so I don't, you know, I, I also feel conflicted because this, I mean, if it's real and it's true, you know, I think we, we ought to be able to face it, but this is something, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of going back and forth, but I did want to go back to, um, that this still happens now. And, uh, and, and the women that also still marry young now, we have their their testimonies at how harmful and uh, awful it is. So, and unfortunately, there's a lot of, I mean, uh, there's just so many leaders in the country that seem not to care. Um, you know, uh, one of our own, like Utah senators, Kurt Bramble, was said before that he uh, he didn't think marital rape was a thing. He also didn't see what uh, if there was a problem with him. Um, having sex with his wife if she was sleeping. Um, and we've just heard some really um, atrocious things too from uh, legislators about, you know, whether women can get pregnant if they are raped, you know, as if as if they can. And so it, and this was something else, and I don't remember which senator it was or like which leader it was, but when people, these women were trying to advocate to try to get these laws changed so that they would, uh, you know, that they wouldn't be legal anymore. He basically said, ah, I can't, you know, I don't want to mess with marriages that people have consented to. And and that's with these women there saying like we were too young to consent. So I really do think sometimes I really worry about the kind of character that we have in our leadership um, today that are running the country and making these decisions for us. That's my rant. Yeah. And if you know much about the Jeffrey Epstein case, you understand that powerful people who have very unhealthy desires inside their head have often sought out ways to meet those needs in very traumatic, uh, harmful ways to people around them. And just a note, as we keep talking about consent, 
uninformed consent isn't consent. Um, if you're if you don't understand the repercussions, if you are being groomed, if there is high amounts of pressure, if you are given uh, threats of spiritual destruction, if you're only given 24 hours to make a decision and you're up all night worrying about it, and then you come back and say, I don't think so. And, and, the, and the person gives you 24 more hours to decide, such as the case with Lucy Walker, by the way, you have to recognize that 48 hours without any sleep and that much kind of worry will almost certainly lead to some sort of hallucination or uh, experiencing feelings and thoughts that weren't natural. And then, so suddenly you think it's an answer and you come back and go like, I got my answer, I, I'm supposed to do this. And the reality is uh, a young kid at 16 years old, having gone through 48 hours of sleep deprivation with that much pressure and threats towards spiritual destruction and, and having to come up with an answer, that answer can't be trusted. It can't hold up. It, 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 it shouldn't be allowed to. And so uninformed consent is not consent. So, right. um, yeah. I think it is a totally. common mistake. A yes is not a yes if it's forced out. And it should be really obvious. But I think there's a lot of people that don't understand that if you're not like physically being held, you know, with your hands tied behind your back to get married, then then that's somehow consent. And I am, I'm going to go back to the Keep Sweet documentary. The uh, women there, one of them had said that, um, that she didn't even know she had a choice. None of the women ever even thought about it in that way. It's just what you did. It's your lifestyle. And I and I actually related to that because, I mean, yes, we're not as strict here. And so, yes, we, we definitely have women like me that they go by without getting married, et cetera. But, um, you know, it was still, that was how I felt growing up. This is the way, it, it wasn't a choice. It was a choice to be good or not. It was a choice to follow the prophet or not. And so- you know, my role was to be wife and mother, and that was the one. So, yeah. yeah. It, yeah, there, there's just, there's so many facets of this that don't feel right or healthy or appropriate to to you or me, right. uh, regardless of what century or decade we're living in. Yeah, totally. I want to put, uh, just, uh, we can move quickly through this, uh, just to note, uh, and again, I, I do think Emma has a kind of a long nose in the photograph. Um, but these, you know, this portrait uh, would have been about a two year difference, one or two year difference from this photograph. And yet, as you can also see in the portrait, she looks much younger, just like the portrait of Joseph Smith. Whereas in the photograph, there is looks like a, you know, a little older, a little more full face. Um, so again, just some reasons maybe to doubt the the portrait um, juxtaposed against Joseph Smith's, this recent alleged photograph of him. Um, there are other ones. I don't need to go through these, just other pictures of Emma. Uh, there's one with her older. Uh, there's another one. Um, but I think that's it. Yep. So any anything else uh, from you? I think we've uh, covered this. We can take a few phone calls and uh, call it a night. Yeah. Cool. Uh, folks, That I've got one call in the in the queue. Uh, but folks, if you want to call, you can join Mormonism Live. Uh, call 662-MORMONS with an S on the end or 662-667. I, yes, sorry, I did want to point out this comment. Um, sorry, I went over the phone number. Um, Emma did have a sleepy eye. I'm, I believe it was actually um, from one of her births that um, uh, was really traumatic that um, almost cost her her life. Um, that is something that I've heard reported before that one of her eyes was just a little bit, um, sleepy since that event. So, and you can see the portrait 
kind of captures that, but puts her at an angle that softens up your perceiving it, if that makes sense. Um, so, you know, there are things that when you're painting a, when you're painting a portrait of somebody, you have to make them look good. You have to, you can't have them look not good. And so you, there are some things that any artist is going to do to try to put that best presentation of that person forward. And as you're pointing out, the droopy eye, uh, is one of those things. So thank you for saying that. Maybe that's a good, mm -hmm. I'm glad the person pointed out and you mentioned it. All right. Um, let's see here. We've got, uh, I believe it's, uh, Maybe Cody. Cody, are you on the line? I am. Cody, you're on Mormonism Live with Maven and Bill Real. RFM's not here, but he did call in earlier. What's on your mind? I'll take Maven over RFM any day. Um, nice. So my uh, my uncle is DJ Bodden. He he was commissioned with the uh, Death Mask back in the eighties, and he worked with um, a lot of forensic professionals to reconstruct the faith based off of based off of it, all the information that the church gave him and according to his fireside he did have the measurements of the skull and the skeletal structure and i guess the church had that i don't know if that's true or not but um somebody sent this new picture to him on facebook and asked him what he thought and he said the bone structure is all wrong cheekbones the brow bone the nose is all wrong and the mouth is, and chin is all wrong but I find your analysis with the circles on the picture interesting, but I will say this. If that picture is not Joseph Smith and with, I mean, I just barely woke up from the Mormon dream myself and I, I'm, I'm with Maven. If, if when this came out and like big flipping deal, this guy was a pervert. I don't even want to know it, <laughs> what he looked like. But if this guy gets stuck with the image of Joseph Smith and it's not, and more and more people wake up to who he was, I, I feel bad for the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing we on the show want to do is at least give people enough things that they start to think deeper about Mormon history, that they go and learn as much of the history as they can, and then begin to make informed decisions about how they'll spend their time, energy and resources. And I think wrestling with the photo is just one small drop in a bucket of doing that. Yeah. And, and I hope that it leads people to I mean, I don't think, I, I, I hope it leads people to kind of wake up and want to find out more about Jesus and just go outside of the scope. I mean, in all reality, all we have to do is go to the church website and dig into the Joseph's papers. That's what I did. I was writing a book about the, the evidence of the church, and that's when I'm like, holy cow, who was this guy? Yeah. And I hope this picture kind of wakes people up to what I've just really, I mean, I have spent the last month just watching all of your podcasts and waking up to everything. And I'm, I'm super grateful for it. I'm a single dad, three boys, raising three boys on my own, getting them ready for missions. And now what I learn, they learn. And, uh, and I'm super grateful for you guys making us aware of how this church started and what kind of man Joseph Smith was. And I hope this picture kind of wakes people up to that. Yeah, I think it will at least a few. And, and every episode we do, we're hoping to catch a few at a time. Thanks, Cody. And I, yeah. I appreciate All right, thanks. Oh, it, Bob, yeah. the place that you're in now. Like, I, it seems like you're doing doing really well. And I'm, I'm glad you're able to um, save your boys from from missions that we we know have been so harmful. Um, but if you if this really is the well, last you, month, I, you go I feel through the right. steps of grief. Oh, say that again. You go through all the steps of you go through all the steps of grief going yeah. through a, this crisis 
faith, especially with the nature of the Mormon church. Yeah. And it's your reputation. And then you, you go through anger and then depression and sadness and gratefulness that you're out of it. You know, and anyways, it, it's been good and, and you guys have helped a lot. So appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks. Well, my good friend. luck to you and your boys. Thank you. All right. Uh, the next call we've got, I believe this is going to be Christian. Uh, Christian, are you on the line? I am here. How awesome. you doing, Bill? I'm doing great, my friend. Uh, what do you think about tonight's show? Well, first I have to say I love this new feature where we can actually listen to the show while we're on hold. That is brilliant. And Maven, if that was you, it just proves your brilliance. Like we all already know. So thank you. Um, <laughs> no, honestly, I've, I've been studying the photographs and face ma- and the death masks quite a while. And uh, this may sound weird, conspiratorial and whatever else, but and I have no doubt you'll just kind of shrug and be like, oh, that's interesting. But it wouldn't stun me at this point looking at the facial structures of Hiram and Joseph and how vastly different they are for being brothers. Uh, if Joseph's mask was maybe altered a little bit to look more like the handsome young Roman aristocrat type look with the dominant nose, the narrow face, you know, all that stuff, uh, you know, the dominant chin and everything. And sure, Hiram is a dominant chin as well, but those facial structures are very different for two people that are supposed to be, you know, directly related DNA brothers. And uh, it just wouldn't surprise me because I don't know if we have good documentation of the mask from the moment it was, uh, you know, applied to post-mortem Joseph's face to when it showed up in our, our uh, museum. So anyway, that's my weird conspiracy thought. And uh, I will listen to your response. Uh, off the phone. So thank yeah. you very much. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Christian. And, and I, I'm just... curious how easy it would be to actually do something like that. Um, uh, if that would be my first question to know if it's plausible, because like we've shown before with the with sometimes uh, apologists with the uh, um, um, the one we did about uh, uh, claiming that oh, I'm sorry, losing my my words here, uh, claiming that the parts of the Book of Abraham referencing the um, the facsimiles were added in later um, and how Dan Vogel showed us that it would be really difficult to kind of insert those in and, and make it look natural um, just because the lines were a little bit off. I, I kind of wonder if that would be, if this is a similar case, would it be extremely difficult in reality to actually make that happen or would it be really easy? Yeah, I don't know. And, and I'm glad you put this picture up because during this week of preparation, uh, there was a mention somewhere, I don't remember where, but there was a mention somewhere of the chin of Hiram Smith's death mask was severely damaged and they had to reconstruct it. And we were not exactly sure if we got it right. Um, so that you can see right there from the image that that seems to be the case. I don't, I don't know if this is the original. I don't know. I know there were at least two originals made by Wilford Wood from the faces of the two brothers um, I don't know if the other one had similar issues or what, but I do, I do know that somebody brought up the fact that there was damage to one of the original chins of the death mask. So you can see it there. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see if we got any other calls. Um, I have heard a lot of people say that they felt that the daguerreotype looks more like Hiram. Um, but I think, yeah, if, if, I mean, if, if they are brothers, it, it, that's another thing that I think will make things difficult. And I almost wonder if it could ever really be known a hundred percent just yeah. because they have similar DNA, you know, so that they would just be close enough that you never yeah. really could 
And being shot in the face would affect how your face looks, right? And falling out of a second floor window would have, if you landed on your head or face, would affect how your face looks. So even with the death, death mask, they're not the perfect way to get to the bottom of it. And so there may be some mystery for some time. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we're left with whether this is significant enough or not to draw any sort of conclusion. Um, but tis life. Like I think life is full of things we can't know for sure. And uh, here perhaps is another one. Yep. Um, you had one little last thing you wanted to to yep, show us. Have any more colors? This was just something I nicked. Oh, off we got. Of we, we do. Oh. We just have one last one. I'll end okay. the call. Me end the calls here. Yep. And uh, let me pull on Steve. You'll be our final caller, and then Maven's gonna show us one more thing. But are you there, my friend? Yep. Thanks. Okay. Now I've got a note here that you want to talk about uh, something new. I, I, I would yeah. really want it to be sort of related. Okay. Um, I won't bring it up then, uh, but I thought that I didn't watch the whole show all the way through. Yeah. Um, it was good. I, what I did think was interesting, do you guys follow Mormon book reviews at all? Yep. Because they, co- they covered it last week. And then what's really cool about that is it's, uh, they got the community Christ going on and all the breakoffs. You guys, what do you think about them? Well, I, I'll tell you, um, in our resource notes, you'll see that we included the interview with uh, John Hamer, Locke McKay, and the Mormon Book uh, Club. And uh, just to note that, um, again, I think from their side of things, from Locke and uh, Hamer and uh, the John Whitmer Association, the Community of Christ, they're fairly confident. I mean, again, we can't be 100% sure, but they're fairly confident that this is Joseph Smith. Yeah, I was kind of persuaded by the argument when they were talking about the details inside of his face and how it matched up with stuff. And it doesn't look like the Joseph Smith we learned about, but uh, yeah. could be. And the thing is, we'll never know. Well, well <laughs> all the aspects of Joseph Smith aren't the Joseph Smith we learned about. <laughs> yeah, that's Good true. point. Yeah. No, he's a, he's a God-saving prophet. All right, thank you. All right, have a great day, my friend. Yeah, that is a really good episode. I I, I highly recommend uh, checking that out um, with Stephen Pinnaker. Um, But I did, someone had asked, um, because it does seem like even in the paintings, uh, the older ones, he's clearly brown-haired. And so I kind of wonder when the the blue-eyed, blonde-haired Joseph like that we've seen in all the the movies, uh, when did that get inserted into the... Isn't that strange? I was thinking about that this week. Like this, this portrait here by David Rogers is kind of a reddish brown. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yet when we watch anything the church puts out today, it's this blonde hair, blue eyed guy, huh? Yeah. Such a strange thing. Just get, maybe the skin gets lighter and lighter for Jesus and hair gets lighter and lighter for Joseph. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It's, it is. It's such an odd thing. Um, why don't you take us home, Maven, with a little uh, video clip? Because somebody made Joseph look much more realistic. There isn't any sound with this. I know he's lip syncing something, and I don't really know the the meaning behind that, unless you for sure do. Um, but um, it's kind of it's kind of yeah. cool to see a lifelike image moving around a little bit. Yep. Here we go. Give Brother Joseph a break. 